what is the best piece of advice I've ever been given? And what's one more piece of advice I could offer? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. Today's going to be a fun one for me. I'm Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach. I work with business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find out about me and what I'm up to over at choosetohaveitall.com. And today's listener question asked me for the best piece of advice I've ever received and then invited me to share another piece of my own. So I'm just going to run through her question real quick and then I'll find you on the other side. Heather, you share so many lessons and insights with us. You're such a good storyteller. I really love your show and how applicable it is. I was wondering what the best piece of advice is that you've ever received, and then I would challenge you to share a new story of your own choosing and one piece of advice we should take from that. Thanks. Oh my goodness. I love this question. Um, I'm a little worried though, like with 200 plus episodes in, I feel like all of you know my stories by now um, and that this might be um, an example of something that I've already said on a similar show. But I'm going to dive in and tell you the first story that comes to mind. And it actually goes all the way back to high school. And I think that one of my favorite things about this story as I tell it is the idea that it came from the least expected person. So when I was in high school, I was in this accelerated um, academic program that's intention. It didn't ever really work out that way. But the intention of this program was that I would do um, college level work and get college level credit. So if I went, you know, went to university, I would be able to graduate early. Um, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, but the classes were rigorous and were challenging. Um, and they were all like two years long. Um, I got in this academic program and I was accepted into this academic program because I was really good at the social sciences and English and literary arts. And I'm sure that doesn't surprise anybody listening that my skill set and my strength is with words and insight. Um, that also means, unsurprisingly, I'm sure as well, that um, I lack the, the tech skills. I'm not so good with science. I'm not so good with math. Those things aren't as intuitive or as easy to me. So I would always struggle. And it's funny how I'm telling you the story. I'm even observing for myself now that I still speak that as my truth, that I'm not good at tech, that I'm not good at science, that I'm not good at math, but I'm good at words. And I think sometimes like there's a lesson right there in that story and just how I told it for you to make sure that you don't hang on to such old stories about yourself and keep them true forever and ever. Um, but anyway, I digress. So um, I was in this two-year academic program and the way that it worked is at the end of the two years of taking two years worth of classes in the same subject, you would take an exam. And if you pass this exam, you would then be able to get college credit. What they didn't tell us at the time is half the colleges and universities didn't recognize it as a legitimate program. And no, indeed, they're not going to give you college credit for what you did in high school. Um, but in any case, I took um, I took this and for all of my subjects. And one of the exams that I had to take was biology. So that meant that two years worth of my science classes, I had to take one Jigunda test on. And I remember having such sort of 
anxiety and worry about this exam. Science always came so hard for me. I would be the person that as soon as the new chapter came out, I would start writing my notes and outlining my notes and getting ready for the test, even if we wouldn't be done that chapter in that unit for a couple of weeks, because studying for tests always took me so long. It just, I never memorized things very well. And the understanding and the application just was consistently a struggle for me. It would consist, science in particular was consistently the subject that like no matter how hard I worked, I wouldn't get the results that I wanted. Like I could do my best and it just legit, my best wasn't good enough for that. Um, so it was always this ghost that would chase me and this story that would follow me. So it was um, mid-year, um, senior year. So we would have the whole like last two quarters um, ready. And I went into um, my biology teacher's um, uh, classroom on a lunch break or something. And I just sat with her and I said, I'm really nervous about the exam at the end of the year. I'm having a hard time kind of comprehending how I'm expected to do well on a two-year exam when I can barely handle like a midterm or a final that only covers two quarters of material. I was hoping you could help me kind of devise a study plan or a system or like a note-taking something or other that could help me with this so that like I have a, a chance of passing because, you know, I really, I've worked so hard. I don't want to blow it at the end. And she put her hand on mine and kind of stopped me, you know, mid question and said, Heather, I'm sorry, I have to be honest with you. I don't think this exam is something you can pass. I think you would be doing yourself a huge disservice if you try to break your back studying and doing this. You would be far better served working on the other subjects and just taking the hit on this one. Um, and and just was that clear and that direct and i i just I don't even remember being crushed or disappointed. I think I remember being grateful that someone was kind of honest with me and was like, you get a pass, kid. You are incapable, so don't even try. Like, I think that there was something about that that I initially took permission in. Um, and then I realized that my parents were getting ready to pay for these exams that like, you know, in exchange for college credit, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I had to go home and, and sort of say to my dad, like, hey, listen, listen, um, I had this conversation with my teacher today. I was trying to get ready to study for this biology exam, and she just doesn't think I can pass it, so she doesn't think I, I should take it um, or that I shouldn't try. And if I'm not going to try, you shouldn't pay for this exam. This is really expensive. And if I'm not going to get college credit, we should just save the money and use it towards college and just like kind of call it a wash. And now my stepmother was at the table, and she and I have a really good, strong relationship now. That is not true about the time that I'm talking to you about. We barely were speaking to one another. We barely could tolerate one another in the room. Um, and we weren't friends and we didn't like each other and we didn't get along. And it was entirely tense. And I remember sitting at the table thinking to myself, like, she must be loving this. She must just be like, ha, finally, this kid's getting put in her 
place and she can't think this and blah, 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 blah. And I just remember thinking she must be in her element right now and that she was going to like relish the opportunity to use it against me. And she, and I remember this, we're going back like more than 20 years ago now, but like, I remember this so clearly. She like put her glass down and she looked me dead in the eye and said, do you think you can pass? You went into that, you went into your teacher's room thinking you could pass. That's why you asked her the question for how to study, because you knew you could do it. You just needed advice on how to do it. And do you think you can? And I was like, well, no, I I didn't think I can. And I I think it's going to be really hard. I said, you know, like last week I studied for this test, like for like three and a half hours the night before, and I only got a C on the exam. So like, you know, the evidence isn't really there that this is something I can do. And she said, oh, so then if you take this test and pass it, the only thing that can possibly happen is that you pleasantly surprise yourself. And if you fail it, you were expecting to fail it anyway, so it won't be this huge crushing blow. So why don't you try pleasantly surprising yourself? And I said to my, you know, and I sort of got really emotional and um, it meant a lot to me that like she wasn't in like the quitting column. And I I remember like feeling so moved by that Um, and just turning to my dad and saying like, I don't want you wasting money on this. This seems so dumb and stupid. And he said, I'm willing to be pleasantly surprised. Are you? And I said, yeah, I am. Like, I like I, I don't want to waste two years. I've been taking these stupid accelerated classes. I would never have taken them if I wasn't going to take the stupid exam at the end. I don't want two years to be wasted of my time. I've worked really hard and, you know, sort of in, in true Heather fashion also said, and I've cried a lot of tears over this, and this has been really, really hard, and yeah, I want to do it. Um, and so we all agreed that I would do it. And I did it. And the exams um, of this program were scored on a scale of one to seven. And you had to do it in all subjects. And at the end of your exams, your final number had it had to like add up to a certain number. Um, but you could get one, two. Um, if you got more than one, two, you were out. But you could get one, two. And I got a two in biology. And I passed the stupid program. (laughs) And it was all because I was willing to be pleasantly surprised. The idea of what if I fail, but oh my dear, what if you fly? And the additional lesson that I learned and took from that is that the bare minimum when you have done your best is enough. Like, who would have thought that on a scale of one to seven, getting a two would be the thing that would be worth celebrating, right? Because a two isn't exactly very good on a scale of one to seven. But I can't tell you how many times in my life since, in the 20 plus years since, I have remembered that moment and been like, yeah, I'm willing to fail in order to be pleasantly surprised. And it turns the story a failure on its head, if you think about it, because it's about the idea that like true success doesn't have to be what everyone else would think. It doesn't have to be some pie in the sky number, some awesome, like shiny achievement. It just has to mean that you have done your best and your best 
really is good enough and good enough can be the best success. I can't tell you how many times in my brick and mortar private practice, I have like pulled that story out and told people about it. You probably actually have already heard it on the show. So I'm sorry to anybody hearing it on repeat for the umpteenth time, but like think about how that story of success can change. It's something that you're afraid of right now, something that you're kind of caught up about thinking that you can't, thinking that you're stuck on. And what happens if you really truly believe that good is enough and that if you do your best, that can be success. I'd be so curious about the takeaway you have from that and then what happens next from it. Now, the second part to your question was kind of a tough one. I had a hard time like thinking of a story and a new piece of advice um, that could come from it. Um, but I certainly like the challenge and I love me a good story. And I was realizing that last um, or two weeks ago now, I was out of town at a conference that I was presenting at. Um, and I found myself telling this old work story um, from time that I worked with teenagers in residential care. And again, this might be yet another story you've already heard, um, but it came to mind in this really vivid way for me. Um, And I realized how often that sort of one solitary night has impacted who I am and how I show up for myself, my life, my work, and my business. So I'm going to tell you that story, and then I'll tell you the lesson on the other side of it. So we have to, I have to take you back now, um, because it's a badass story, but I am not, (laughs) it's a different version of badass. It's badass that goes probably like 15 years or so back now at this point in time, maybe a little bit longer, but I was um, working in a teenage residential adolescent facility. So those are kids who are deemed unsafe for the community. Um, the kids who aren't in psychiatric hospitals or aren't in lockup for crimes committed go to residential treatment where they live at the program or required to stay at the program. Are They're not locked into the building per se, but they're prohibited to leave and strongly encouraged to stay. Um, and uh, they get admitted for treatment for a year to two years. Um, um, and it's a business that I worked for um, uh, for a little over 10 years, I believe. Um, and at one particular time, I had sort of been on the, I would say the leadership level of the agency where I, I didn't have a management position, but people really relied on me for crisis intervention, working with the kids who were sort of getting hot and, you know, sort of bubbling and heading towards crisis, which often for the lay person means like an acting out behavior an assault, a restraint, um, some sort of self-harming behavior, something, you know, something not entirely good. Um, and I was, I was relied on and leaned on a lot by administration and people below me to kind of de-escalate those situations. And my job on the campus was basically a de-escalation specialist. So I would work with kids across the agency who were struggling, who were hot, who were simmering, and I would work and intervene with them to kind of calm themselves, to help them calm down. And one night I was home and in my apartment, um, I want to say like it was like 11 or 1130 at night. Again, the timing probably is incredible consequential, but regardless, it just means I was in my pajamas, okay? Um, so I got a call um, from an on-call administrator who let me know that um, there was a riot in process at the agency, that she as the on-call administrator was over an hour away out of town, um, and could I please get there as soon as possible, intervene, and see what I could do. 
So, um, you know, like a good soldier, I grab the keys, I get in the car, I look down and I realize I forgot to change. And I realize that like time is of essence. So this entire story of badassery happened in my pajamas. And I have decided to believe that that means I'm just a little bit more of a badass. But anyhow, I go flying to my job, like on a, on a regular daytime commute, it's a seven minute, a 17 minute drive. Um, I shaved 10 minutes off that time. So you can imagine just how quickly at 1130 at night I was going. And I remember consciously thinking to myself um, that even though we tried to not cause like have police call be called to the program, because then it just means it interrupts kids treatment, it creates community, you know, sort of disruption with neighbors and all sorts of things in our agency's relationship with the police departments compromised. We largely the goal always was to handle things internally whenever possible. I just decided decided that if I got pulled over for a ticket, I was going to tell the cop where I was going, why I was going there and ask them to come. So I chose to be a rule breaker. And I sort of sped to the agency and I go flying up the stairs um, and I, I get into the program. And the first thing I see is a kid um, with a staff member and uh, in like her hand. So the kid has the staff member, not the other way around. And um, the kid has uh, scissors in her hand. Um, I don't need to uh, create more of a uh, graphic picture than that. That's certainly um, enough. And I'm now regretting not putting a trigger warning before this episode. But anyway, I'm going to continue talking. Um, so I saw the kid and we had other kids who were yelling and wandering the halls and throwing things and staff were just stuck and frozen and petrified and stuck and frozen and petrified. Like it just was a state of overwhelm and true panic. And, um, you know, the, the, the adults were not in charge. So I just, I quickly looked at the girl with scissors and just talked to her um, in a really kind of, now that I'm talk, thinking about it, like an eerily calm voice and just sort of said, wow, 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 you must be having a really bad day right now. Like this must be really hard and really scary. And now you have a staff member right in front of you in a really scary, compromising position. And having this amount of power and control must feel really good after feeling so powerless and out of control in your own life. But whoa, I need you to slow down here. I need you to look at me in the eyes and just listen to what I have to say. And I just talked to her like in a crazy situation, but like a normal person and just talk to her. And I said, like, I know this is bad. I know this is scary. I know you feel you have taken this this far that you have no other choice but to keep going. But I want to remind you of things you've learned in previous days and previous months here that that's not true. That at any point in time, we get to take a do-over. And we get to erase and like make amends and forgive. And you and I need to get to a place where you can do that. But we can't do that until you put the scissors down. I need you to put the scissors down. And in some just, <laughs> I, I often, I'm not always religious when I, like I always say, like in some divine moment, I said the right words to the right kid at exactly the right moment when she needed to hear them and she put the scissors down 
And then I said, listen, you and I need to talk. And you know that. I want to hear what got you so sad and scared and mad and bad and all of the rest. But you can look around you and can, you can hear the volume of the other kids. And you can see the things that are being thrown outside the rooms. And you can see that staff kind of need me right now. And they need my direction. So I want to talk to you. I can't talk to you right now. But I very much want to. So if you can stay here. I promise no matter how long it takes me to calm this situation down and make sure everybody is safe, I will come back to you. And then like sort of bit by bit, and I can kind of almost see myself from the outside looking in, telling you the story now, I just went to the first staff person in front of her, me and gave her a direction. I need you to do this now. I went to the next staff member. I did that. I did the same thing. So right now you need to do this. Each child who is not attached to an adult who was not following directions, I just one by one by one intervened and worked and got other people called in because why I was the only phone call. I still always kind of wonder about that. But um, one by one, worked with people and we calmed the situation down and nobody else got hurt. All of the kids were put back to bed. And then I finally met with that one-on-one girl and had that chat and put her to bed for the night. And it was a it was probably one of my most proudest professional accomplishments. Um, if somebody had sort of told me that was going to be the story and that was how the night was going to go down, and I was going to do it in my pajamas. I There's not a part of me that would have believed that that was true or possible or it was something I was capable of. But I can tell you that since that night, I have used and channeled that version of me, that person who just for one solitary night was exactly who she needed to be the moment she needed to be it and had the words to say it and to do it and kept like a like a whole floor of people safe and unhurt and unharmed and unarrested. Um, and I just was who I needed to be. There have been so many moments in my life from um, when my husband got hurt um, to uh, when he got sick again in 2015, when I did the cross-country trip, when I cross, uh, closed my brick-and-mortar business, when I actually left that job and you know decided I wanted to own my own business and started the brick-and-mortar, um, to when I was nervous and afraid about health things going on with me. Um, there have been so many moments in my life since where when I don't know what to do, I remember I, the woman I was that night and what I was capable of and what I did and what I accomplished and how I was able to show up. And I remind myself that even though it was like 15 some years ago and I was younger and had more physical ability and more speed and more like moxie, um, I, I am still that person that I don't lose that ability because it was one magic night in one magic moment of time that I can channel my inner badass. And I literally, like when I was telling the story at the event um, a couple weeks ago, I my posture raised. And it's funny, as I'm telling you the story now, I'm raising my posture and I'm holding my spine straighter and my shoulders are going back. And I can channel my 
sort of past accomplishments to push through and inform who I am and any scary situation facing me in front of me. That I think so often one of the missing ingredients, and I and I know one of my early episodes of the show, if you go way, way back to like the first 50 episodes, I think, I have this episode, Are You Proud of Yourself Now? And I don't talk enough about this on the show, but the idea that we don't give ourselves permission to feel pride. We don't get our, give ourselves permission to own who we are, what we do, and how we serve, and that we're awesome at it. To inform and to sort of talk back to our limiting beliefs and our inner critic and the imposter syndrome that shows up. But I am so proud of myself for that night. I am so proud to be the person that kept that many people safe, that I was that good at my job that I could do that. And like, I just own it. And sometimes in those moments, people fear that ego is going to overrun the show and you're going to be too proud and too boastful and too alienating. And I will tell you that absolutely positively happened to me. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that that's not true. Like ego dominated my life (laughs) for a good amount of time after that night. But it settles back down to something that's normal. And yes, I alienated people with my ego. And yes, I sort of fractured relationships and I had to clean up the mess that, you know, got me a little too big for my britches at the time. But how great is it to have a moment where we get to be too big for our britches, where we own who we are, what we do and what we're awesome at. Because when we get scared, we have to pull that out. We have to lean on it. We have to remind ourselves, like, you think you're scared of this? Like, what the hell? Like, you're the person who, like, walked in on this scary scene. Like, what about what's in front of you right now is so damn scary. Like trust yourself. We have to pull on our, you know, past versions of our success, our past versions of ourselves, who we've been capable of being at the time to remind ourselves that we're capable of being that person again when needed and necessary. That like we can't just leave the good days behind in like the memory book and in the journals, but we have to recall them, hold on to them, own them, take pride in them, have ownership over them so that whatever we want to do and whatever we're accomplished and whatever voice in our head is telling ourselves we can't, we can say bullshit. Like, cause look at me and watch me. You think I can't watch me. So that's the best piece of advice I can give you from that story to look back and find a moment when you in your own life, in your own world, were the perfect person, the most necessary person that you showed up in spades for yourself and your business and you got what you needed from it. So you can use that moment to fuel you in whatever's in front of you right now. Um, this was a really fun episode to do. Thank you so much for asking like a personal question and your interest in getting to know me better. Um, it kind of surprised me a little bit because talking five times a day, I think I sometimes tell myself a story that people would be sick of me by now. Um, but I really appreciate the time to 
to go down a memory lane and to remember like how I've gotten there and lessons I've learned. And um, anytime I can use a story of mine or my own experience to kind of inspire and move people in a new direction in their own lives. Wow, that's just like the best day at work ever for me. So thank you so much for this. If uh, you're getting value from this show, if in any way, shape or form, I have helped you shift your mindset and you have taken positive action as a result of the words that I've said, the best possible way that you can thank me, acknowledge me, is if you're not going to work with me, if you choose to support the show so I can keep doing it. There is a link at the bottom of the show notes for how you can do that and you can uh, submit a monthly contribution for as little as 99 cents and it's a little vote of confidence that I am doing the right thing, heading in the right direction and offering the advice you need. Thanks so much for today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.